All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a brand new episode of SCAR. And SCAR stands for Seeking, Seeking Courage and Redemption with Dustin Rivenbark. And I am so glad that you could join us today. We have a great episode. We have a great guest on the line. But before we get all into that, I want to give you the intent of the podcast. Kind of the, the why are we here, so to speak. And we're here to work out our hardships, our, our tribulations, our issues in such a way that we can begin to unfold God's plan and purpose for our lives. Now, you may be listening and say, but Dustin, why do I need to listen to Scar? And here's the truth. We all have stuff. We all have hardships. We all have things that arise over and over in our lives. And if we don't watch out, they can even change the trajectory of our lives. So that's exactly why you need to be plugged into SCAR, because this is a safe place where we can all come together and share our hardships, and not only that, but our triumphs and our lessons learned right here on SCAR. So with that being said, without further ado, I want to introduce um, uh, my new friend, Miss Aviva Solson, to the show. Please say hello, Aviva. This is Aviva. Thank you so much for having me, Dustin. Yes, and so I'm so excited um, about this episode. So um, this is actually an additional episode to our last one posted, and Aviva is part of um, this book collaboration, Don't Suffer in Silence, I Am Resilient, uh, with Ashley Pittman, and it's five other women, correct? And so uh, Aviva is in addition to that, and I'm sorry she couldn't be on uh, the last episode due to uh, scheduling conflict, but no worries. We got her on right here, and she is originally from India, moved to Israel at about 14, and then moved to America, to Tampa, Florida, about 12 years ago. So uh, quite a, uh, a diverse background there, Aviva. And you're giving away my age. Come on, we have an agreement here. <laughs> <laughs> very, very true, very true. So, um, yeah, so we're excited to have you um, on this show. Again, um, we're super excited about this book collaboration coming out. Um, tell us when it's coming out again, and tell us a little bit about the book. The book, oh my gosh, I am so excited, and I can hardly wait for it to launch for the big release day. We are releasing our book to the public on May 2nd. Let's and go. We, yes. Yeah, it's, it's been in the making for a few months now, and every step of the process has been a journey in and of itself. And we were very, very intentional in picking May 2nd for our release day because that is known as every year the date's different but the first sunday of may is always recognized as international grieved mother's day wow that's huge we didn't even talk about that last time but so that's a uh it's it's international grieved mother's day grieved yeah grieved oh sorry yes yes uh yeah that is that is um very intentional yes yes because especially here in the U.S. and a lot of other countries follow the similar pattern of recognizing Mother's Day and it's always the second Sunday of the month of May. But a lot of women who are either grieving the loss of a child and maybe they have other children or maybe they don't, they deserve to be recognized as well because I truly believe that you become a mother from the day you give birth to the dream of being a mother. It's not about the day you conceive or the day you physically give birth. To me, my journey of motherhood began from the moment I knew that I wanted to have a child or children. Right. So I believe that whether you have a baby to wrap around and wrap your arms around them or whether you're just holding on to them in your hearts, you are a mother. Yes. You know, and and with that, I just tell you, I I, I told my ladies um, on the last podcast, um, Aviva, that I I look at women 
no, no, no. I look at mothers as superheroes. Um, the the love that they have for their children. I told a story about um, how I'd ran into a a mother at at a hospital who had a kid that was just so sick, and she was so sick, and and the love she was just showing on that kid um, was just so powerful. And I know the love that my wife has for her children. Um, and, and so on and so on. I absolutely look at it, but you just said something that, that I want us to really dissect for a second. That was really, a a, a mic drop and, and you just kind of blew by it. It was, uh, you become a mother as soon as you give birth to the dream of being a mother. That's, that's a, um, that's a message for life as well for just about, for just about everything, you 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 know, um, just as soon as we as as soon as we have that that God given vision in our heart, that dream for whatever it is, um, it it starts with that. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and so with you, it started um, when when you gave birth to this dream, and then kind of kind of take us into um what what happened from there aviva kind of take us into your story if you will my story justin started off actually very much like a textbook case of two people a couple who want to grow their family my journey towards motherhood was just so effortless. It's exactly what anybody and everybody hopes for and dreams for. And as we speak, um, we have a daughter who is six and she is just absolutely brilliant and healthy and happy. And just when I say brilliant, I mean, like she's just brilliant in every aspect of who she is. So when we decided that we felt ready, not whatever ready means, right? Because <laughs> right. there is no really a way no. to know if you're ready to if, be if, a parent for the first time or add more kids. Look, to the if dynamic. you wait till you're truly ready, you'll never have them. No, no. You know, it's all about just, you, you just have a knowing. You know that this is what you feel called towards. Your heart just keeps getting pulled in that direction. So when we decided between my husband and myself that we wanted to grow our family but at that point in time our daughter was a little less than the age of three so she was two and a half a little more than that and the the journey continued to be very seamless I conceived pretty much right away and um, as is very popular in the US and the way doctors and insurance companies work, you have to wait until you are in your eighth week of pregnancy before they can have you come in for an ultrasound and a checkup. So here I am going in for my eighth week, which is the very first appointment, still completely oblivious to what is happening on the inside because on the outside, I felt exactly how a woman in her eighth week of pregnancy should feel. Yes. I will never forget that moment when the ultrasound technician said, okay, we're done here. I'll be right back. Wow. And my mind immediately raced back to when I was pregnant with our daughter. And I started to make those comparisons so quickly. It's amazing how quick the mind and the brain can work. Absolutely. There is into our bodies, or even how quickly I can speak right now. I, I immediately knew that something didn't quite feel right because I remembered the first ultrasound when I was having our daughter, and how that was a longer ultrasound. And I was, I heard a heartbeat, I saw a heartbeat, and I was like, "Hold on, how are we already done?" And that's essentially in the next few minutes when she came back and she brought the doctor back with her. They asked me the same questions over and over, but essentially they they then shared the news with me that, and even the way they share it, it's I laugh at it now, but it actually almost angers me as well when they say, we're sorry, this is not a viable pregnancy. Wow. And in that moment, you know, Justin, when your emotions are already running so high, 
and you have a surge of all kinds of feelings and emotions running through you. I don't understand all this sophisticated language of yeah what does that even mean viable (laughs) so i i just straight up asked the doctor well what does that mean even though i knew that it obviously doesn't mean good nothing good can come out of that sentence sure but i thought well it could mean that there are some complications but there could be hope because there are so many cases when eventually everything works out just fine but she said that we couldn't find a heartbeat. You're having a miscarriage. Mm. In that moment, Aviva, that exact moment when they say we can't, we can't find a heartbeat. You're having a miscarriage. What goes through your brain? What goes through your heart? Your body? Um, what What were you feeling in that very moment? even begin to tell you because I don't think all the words in the dictionary, sorry Merriam-Webster's dictionary, sorry to whoever compiles (laughs) that stuff, but all the words in the dictionary combined cannot do justice to the amount, the volume, and the velocity with which these emotions hit me. Sure. It was, there was grief I'll, I'll try it <laughs> there was grief there was anger there was there was denial it, I, I just froze because I just could not believe that this was happening and oh. I remember my husband was in the room with me and we couldn't even look at each other wow almost it, like shockwaves yeah, it, it was yeah I was just I was numb I was freezing right then and there so take me through um take me through a brief version of the next couple of weeks after that after that initial um i guess that that initial report the next couple of weeks were very 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 challenging and i think that's an understatement yeah especially because On a physical level, I had no signs of this not being a pregnancy that the way it needs to be. So the first thing I did when we went home, and that's actually where I took the time to just break down and cry. The whole ride home, I couldn't look, and he couldn't look at me either, but I couldn't look at my husband. We could barely exchange even a syllable, leave alone a word. But when we got home, I remember just dropping on the couch and and crying. And that's when we finally just held each other and cried for, I have no idea how long. But I started to figure out, just, you know, started to think through who, who can I at least just inform? Because there were a few people who were aware of the pregnancy. I've never, you know, I've never believed in hiding pregnancies. I know that the norm is to not say anything for the first 12 weeks. Sure. But I've never been that person. Even with the first pregnancy, everybody that I'm close to knew about it. You want to celebrate. I want to celebrate. And and also, I I mean, I, I went into every single one of my pregnancies with a deep, unshakable knowing that everything's great, everything's fine. I never oh. doubted anything. Let and me ask you, Aviva, in, in that moment, like the next couple of weeks, I, I, I know you had to make some phone calls and, and I know you had to tell some folks, was there ever any doubt that what he said may be wrong? Or did you did, were you pretty much um, accepting right off the bat? Because I think we have these two different responses to bad news. There's, mm-hmm. there's of course, um, taking it all in and just trying to deal with what was said. And then there's another um, that people often go through, which is that straight denial that, no, I think you're wrong, that second opinion mentality. Oh, I... <laughs> I, I got third, fourth, and fifth opinion. Sure. <laughs> um, it, it was denial for sure, but I had an extremely difficult time accepting it also yeah. because I I didn't feel anything different. I 
I felt exactly how I'm supposed to feel. I, I always knew that miscarriages happen, but I've always heard of that from the perspective of all the physical changes that the body goes through. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't feeling any of that. So I just felt that maybe they're wrong. Maybe I shouldn't be. Because at the end of the day, ca- the calculation of how far along a woman is in her pregnancy, it, there is no exact science to it. So I felt that, well, what if they're wrong? What if I am actually not in my eighth week of pregnancy? Maybe I should be in my fifth or sixth week of pregnancy. And then maybe it's okay for the baby to not have a heartbeat because it's too soon. So I had all these thoughts and wishful thinking. And of course, I I went to Google and I went to all kinds of places just I think looking for any straw of hope to grab onto. And I read a lot of miracle stories about women going in for ultrasounds, getting the exact same piece of news that I got, and then they got either more opinions or the original doctor was sensitive enough to say, but you know what, just come back in the next two weeks and we'll see where we're at. And they would go back to the exact same facility and lo and behold, there's a heartbeat and the baby's fine. Right. So for all these reasons, there there was there was hope. There just was this sense of I'm going to continue to feed my baby positive thoughts and positivity overall. Because if it's alive, then I want to make sure that I am not missing a moment of nourishing my baby with positive thoughts. Because I truly believe that more than the nourishment through food, because our body knows what to do when it comes to that. But I really believe that as a mother, as a pregnant mother, it is so important and it is our job to feed and nourish our baby with healthy, happy thoughts. Yeah. And and so moving, you know, through through the different stages of um moving from like denial grief um denial grief moving moving forward into kind of accepting what's happening i don't know if you ever i don't know if accepting is the right word i don't know if you ever truly accept it but at some point you just have to move through it so kind of take me through um through that and bring me from the darkness and kind of start start bringing me towards the light how you started finding some uh, uh kind of your way back So after those first initial weeks, although it was still difficult in many ways, but I was starting to at least make an attempt at at accepting. And like you said, acceptance, I I don't know if you ever actually truly come to accept it or find your peace with it, per se. I think it's more about accepting the fact that this is a part of your life and your life journey Mm -hmm. and you find a way to move forward i do not believe in moving on i believe in moving forward Mm. so at and in the first few months were extremely difficult they were and everybody kept on telling me that just give it some time things will get better but to me, my experience felt like it was getting worse and worse. And I felt that there were very, very few people, like I could literally count them on maybe two fingers. And that's not even counting, like, you know, the way some people count with parts of their fingers. So yeah. I'm only saying there were two people, essentially, that I could talk to. It was my husband and my mother. Yeah. And yeah. Even, even with those two people who are the closest to me, and they always have been, After the first few weeks of talking to them, eventually I got to a point where I felt uncomfortable even opening up in conversations with them. So I felt more and more isolated in this experience. And I felt that I couldn't truly authentically share how I was feeling. I continued to go to work every single day. I didn't take any time off, hoping, I think, for two reasons. One was I think I was wrongly decided I had wrongly decided that if I keep myself busy it will make it easier which in hindsight was a very 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 wrong unproductive decision on my part yeah the second reason was because I was also just so focused on 
getting pregnant again as quickly as possible that I didn't want to use up any of my time leaving all my paid time off and everything like that for my next pregnancy. So so tell me tell me what happened after that, Aviva. So fast forward a few months down the road. Now those few months felt like a lifetime. Sure, absolutely. Initially it was it was a lot of struggles, but eventually I got to a point and there was this one specific moment that that truly was the turning point for me. And that was, I was, it was late at night, I was in bed, and everybody was asleep, it was dark all around me, and that's usually when I would allow myself to cry and to feel, because like I mentioned earlier, I felt isolated and alone in this experience, so I felt that I have to always put up this strong, brave face, so at nighttime is when I would just cry and put myself to sleep through my tears and that particular night I was just constantly going back to that moment in the ultrasound room when I was told that the baby didn't have a heartbeat and I I just kept thinking to myself how I would give anything to change that outcome and then my my mind took me back to how happy I felt every time I heard my daughter's heartbeat when wow. I was having her. And that's when I, I realized that I cannot allow to lose myself to this grief and to the depression and the anxiety that I was feeling. Because at that point, I was already seeing therapists for to help me with depression because I, I was clinically depressed and it wasn't helping and I was I was contemplating all kinds of things that just I don't even sure <laughs> I, but it just, let's just say the darkest thing one can one can contemplate yes so but in that moment as, as I'm thinking about my daughter whom I love so dearly I said, no, as, as painful as this is, and as much as I miss my second baby, I have to find a way to survive this pain for my daughter. Wow. And that is how my journey back up started. So with that, um, your resilience was found in the recognition of, though this may have not gone as planned and I can't fully accept it, I still have to be strong because no matter what, I am a mother. Yes. And and so I have to be resilient for her. Yeah. Uh and and for the baby that I just lost. Like like I, I, I have to I have to move forward and I love that that we don't move on but we move forward and, and I I can um I can certainly relate to that with all that I've been through. My audience um, is is well versed in in my story, and I just feel like um, you you don't forget, but but you can you can forgive, and you can and you can move on, and you can I mean move forward anyway. But um, you you know take us um, so at what point did you say okay we're gonna try again? Was it was it immediately? And, yeah. and remembering myself in those days. So here's the funny thing, Justin. On one hand, I was so ready to get back on the journey and have another baby. And if the doctors recommended that I wait three months just to give my body some time to heal. And But if it was up to me, I would go back into it right away. But I waited three months. So on a physical level, you can say I went back into it as quickly as we could. Yes. However... I know that 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 it was first of all not the same because I felt that my idea of what the process looks like in terms of the process of creation of creating a life it was now tainted with fear yes. and doubt and, yes. and anxiety over history repeating itself. Well, you had experienced that process being broken. You experienced yeah. the broken side of that process, and I can I can very well see that. Go 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 ahead. Yeah. So there was that aspect. There was also the aspect of the strain on our relationship and my marriage 
through those first few months of us just making it through every single day, however, not communicating because, and I'm sure my husband went through his own version of grief. Grief is grief, but everybody processes it differently. So I'm sure he had his own struggles and I had mine and it took us a long time to verbally communicate truly and authentically with each other. So while we almost got back into the, almost like a mission to make a baby, and it should not be a mission. No, no. But it, it felt that way. You know, I was like, I, I am dedicated and devoted, and this baby's happening. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I know mentally and emotionally, we ha- we still had a lot to work through. We had a lot of growth that still awaited us. And mm. I think the universe, God, some higher intelligence, whatever people believe in, everybody calls it different things, but I do believe that at the end of the day, we all are guided by something. And I feel that our next conception didn't happen until we were in a better place as two individuals, but also as two people who come together in a marriage. We had to mentally and emotionally work through some of our differences for the next baby to be conceived because we were physically doing everything we're supposed to do, but it wasn't happening until I just I just worked through a lot of the baggage that I was holding on to in my mind. Mm. You know, and and what did uh, what did that 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 next process look like for you, Aviva? Um, so you're looking at roughly about eight nine months worth of time gap between the first miscarriage and then the next time when I discovered that I'm pregnant. It was just such a day and weeks and weeks of excitement was there in in that excitement of eva was there a was there a doubt since you had was there was there anything like 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 i've been burned before and i'm a little reluctant was there any of that yes okay every step of the way every single day (laughs) yes but with every day that this pregnancy outlasted the previous one, my confidence in myself and in confidence in that my body knows what to do grew. The yeah. confidence grew stronger. It was re- which was interesting because on one hand, I'm afraid of history repeating itself in the negative way. I don't know why I wasn't focusing on history repeating itself in a positive way because I had a perfectly healthy baby. I yeah. had my daughter. Mm-hmm. So, but it's amazing, and that's just the way the human the human brain is wired. Yes, we are a lot more mindful and a lot more aware of our fears and doubts and anything negative. We are a lot more focused on our pain as opposed to pleasure. Yeah, and, and you can and look at you can look at anything. That, but yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. you look at social media. You look at at the media. Uh, uh, bad news sales, man. Well, that's that's how we're wired. Is 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 we focus on our pain, on our hurts, and uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a biological reason for that because centuries ago, at the beginning of of the human race, it served a purpose when mm-hmm. we had to fight against tigers and lions and all these things coming out. We we had to be a lot more aware of danger and pain as opposed to seeking joy and pleasure and happiness. But the thing is, our society has evolved, our life experience has evolved, we have all these conveniences and comforts that we didn't have thousands of years ago, but our brain, our mind has not evolved, it's pretty much what it used to be. So that's why it still always jumps and it goes into high alert and and high gear when there's any kind of a pain or a resemblance of pain. But of course, it's easier for me to say that now. Back then, I didn't know all this, and I lived every day of that pregnancy, fearing and always looking for signs of, is everything okay? Is something happening? 
um, like feeling very anxious between every appointment and every every test, everything that was done, always waiting for the reassurance that everything is okay. And what seemed to be okay, and it felt like it, this pregnancy did outlast the last one, but it still did not, it did not go the way yeah. we had planned. Let's, let, let's take a look at that. So I, I first of all, um, I can totally um, relate to a lot of what you're saying with our, our rainbow baby, um, Addie Faith. Um, after the loss of Callie Grace, it was, uh, it, it was, every test was scary after that. Every single test. We didn't know what we were getting into, uh, almost waiting for bad news. And, um, God blessed us through that. And God really, uh, God, God really, uh, showed up and, and showed out for us in a powerful way with Addie, but still that humanized fear you're talking about was just deathly looming over us. So, so you go in and and tell us about when you found out um, that this pregnancy had its complications as well. So I was I was at my twelve week appointment and I felt so much better about how this pregnancy was going simply because of the fact that I was further along. I had already had two ultrasounds where we found a very strong, healthy heartbeat. So with every day and every appointment where I was hearing great news, I felt more and more reassured that everything was okay. But when I went in for the 12 week ultrasound, I heard those exact same words and I hate those words about just there's no heartbeat. This is not a viable pregnancy. Wow. You know, what is a what does a mother's heart do in that moment? Uh, for the second time, Aviva. I'm sure every mother is different. I don't know. Or maybe they're not. Maybe we're all the same. But speaking from my experience and just painting a picture of what I went through in those moments what I can tell you is I had so many tears just filling my eyes, but at the same time, I did not want them to blur my vision because when you are 12 weeks along, even when you're actually 10 weeks along, there is already a very prominent, very clear, distinct structure of the baby's body. There's the head, there's the torso, you have the arms, the limbs, it's a human in a human form. So I, I had all these tears coming up and welling up into my eyes, but I wanted to look at the image of my baby on that screen with this straight line on the top of the screen that shows that there is no heartbeat because, you know, when there is a heartbeat, it goes up and down. So I have this straight line that's moving across the screen and my baby and all I want to do is just carve the memory, the, the image of this baby, because I know that I'm never going to see it again. Mm. Not, not that particular way and not in that specific way. Aviva, I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in that situation for no other purpose than to, uh, grieve uh, alongside of you, um, and and love and be compassionate, and that's what we do here. And I, and I'm thinking about that, and I just wish I could preach on that for the next hour and a half. You said you you had like, you had tears swelling up, but you didn't you didn't want to lose vision, and so and, and you just wanted to see that baby. You wanted to acknowledge their existence and you just wanted even if that's all the mother I can be in that moment I'm going to I'm going to be in that moment you know and that's just that's that's strong that's powerful and so um as you as you kind of wind out of that um um take me out of take me out of that meeting and uh and and kind of into the 
the last leg of the race, if you will? What followed after that was almost reliving the most painful life experience. There, there was just all those same emotions all over again, grief and anger. And especially because it was the second time happening, I just felt like, oh, come on, this cannot be happening again. Um, but I, I, I all, I was also very determined this time. I was determined the first time too, but I was met with a lot of resistance between doctors and insurance of them not wanting to dig deeper to find answers. But this time I was a lot more determined to, to run more tests and to find out if there is something that is causing recurrent miscarriages and if there is something we need to know so that moving forward we need to know if there's something we can do differently Mm -hmm. um so the first few months i would say it was just the sense of determination of figuring this out and i think it's it's also because you just don't have control and the only thing i could control was my power of speech it, it, because speech is powerful our voices are powerful and i wanted to talk to doctors and get them to see why certain tests need to be done now as opposed to the norm of going through three miscarriages before you're taken seriously and i said i'm not going through it just so that you can check the box and say this is the third one yes so i had to push hard it was a long, long process. It's all kinds of fertility tests and things like that. And also, um, because because I was further along, I didn't have the choice but to go for the surgical removal of the baby through a surgery called DNC. Wow. And I, I suppose you can call it a benefit. <laughs> Not that the experience is good at, by any means, but a benefit of having a surgery of that kind is the doctors and the labs can also run genetic and chromosomal testing on the baby to determine the cause of death. And And what was the outcome? What was the outcome of all of that? um, It it was a chromosomal disorder called trisomy 18, where Mm. the 18th chromosome has an extra copy. So every chromosome has two copies, but when you have an extra copy, so in this case, there's a third copy of it, hence tri, trisomy 18, because it's the 18 chromosome, it essentially, there's extra genetic information in the body, and the body cannot deal with excess or lack of genetic coding. So... Um, that's what happened. And well, this sounds specific to that baby. Is that something that could have it? So, so maybe the first one was something completely different, do you think? Or or what do you think? I I don't know. Um, I, I would think it was because after months and months of all kinds of tests and scans and everything on myself and my husband, everything came back normal. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. So, but. so tell me this, Aviva, like like deciding to come out after going through all of this and I can't even imagine what going into surgery to have my child removed. Um you know, I, I remember being one month shy of full time from a father's perspective when we went in when we got word that Callie Grace had passed, and we went into that hospital. I can remember being in there for the C-section um, and the the removal of, of Callie Grace, and it was so hard and it was so tough. So I can't I can't imagine from a mother's perspective. Um, although I, I I saw it from a distance, I couldn't imagine that 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 feel and that turmoil and that in that in that feeling and emotion in that moment. So. What made you decide to collaborate in this book, um, Don't Suffer in Silence, I Am Resilient? What what made you say, I, I need to get this story out? There were many strong reasons that, and it, it, it's almost not even a thought that came to me 
it, it wasn't a logical process of should I or should I not. To me, it just felt right. And the reasons why it felt so right, the first one is because I know that this is such a taboo topic, which is just so disheartening for as modern of a society we claim to be, I am absolutely amazed and not in a good way at how we don't talk about this. I So he, to give you an example of how much of a taboo topic this is, I and I'm kind of condensing time here, but coming out of the second miscarriage and a few months after that, through a series of other reasons that I think fed into it, but at the end of the day, I was being called into a greater purpose, a greater mission. And from there, I became a coach and a speaker. And now I am just a month away from, depending on when you air this, so by the time you air it, I might already be licensed, but I am getting licensed as a rapid transformational therapist. Okay. Now... I'm sharing that background because my friends know what I'm doing. My friends know that I left my corporate job and I started my coaching and speaking business and now I'm becoming a therapist. And one of my closest friends, who, mind you, is a nurse. She is a nurse and yet she mocks me and she tells me that there is no reason for me to do what I'm doing And every time her husband, who actually speaks very highly of me, and in every interaction, every time we see each other, he just commends me and and is proud of me for bringing light and voice to a topic that is not talked about. Absolutely. But here is my friend, who is also a medical nurse, and her response every single time is, but why should women talk about it? They feel guilty. Why? Well, but you know. So my point is, it is a taboo topic, and even the ones closest to the grieving mother or the grieving father, I really feel that there is not enough emphasis on what a grieving father goes through. Even the ones closest to them are not always supportive. Sometimes they know that they are not supportive, like in my friend's case, or in majority of the cases. I think my friend is an exception, but in majority of the cases, family and friends want to support, but they just don't know how. Because certain things words cannot teach. Certain things you learn at a much deeper level when you go through that experience. But I don't believe that people should have to wait to experience something for them to have a better understanding. So that's the first reason why I felt that it was the right thing, right action on my part to be a co-author with this book because I want to be the voice that the world needs to hear. And I don't think I could have worded that any better. Um, Why do people, why do women talk about this? Um, Because they must. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, there is some young woman out there who is facing this that does not have a support system, that does not have a educated background, that does not have um, um, a, a strong, loving relationships in their life. And they're faced with going through this right by themselves to try to be... Just think about those deep, dark thoughts you had in the darkest part of your depression. And you magnify that with no education, with no positive outlook on life, with no support system, Aviva. And you have got a concoction, um, a, a perfect formula for disaster, um, for for suicide, for for so many different things for addiction you have got a mathematical formula for disaster and this is why women need to be talking about this stuff and and men as well man because we must because somewhere on the other side of this is brokenness that needs um uh, people to speak into their lives they just they need it absolutely there are so many couples that Don't figure out a way to grow through the grief together because it is hard. It is challenging. We didn't figure it out 
overnight. It took us months and months of challenges, getting to some of the most challenging points in our marriage. So when people speak up, when people share, they have no idea how much strength can come out of that vulnerability. And because I want to recognize and acknowledge and honor all that I have learned about myself and the sanctity of life, and I have learned all of this through every single one of my children, the one that I hold in my arms and the two that I hold in my heart. Wow. I wanted to capture it in the written form. I, I really, really believe that a life worth living is a life worth documenting. And my baby's lives were worth every moment. And the lessons I've learned about myself, not lessons because I was doing something wrong, but I have reached a deeper level of understanding about myself and what I'm capable of and how much I can give and how much grace and beauty and abundance in every sense of the word awaits me. All of this is a legacy of my babies. And I wanted to honor them by spreading the word. So every coaching client I work with, every book that I write, every speaking engagement, every social media post, everything I do stems from the knowing that I would not have been the person that I am today if it wasn't for the greatest teachers I have had, which are all my children combined. So this is a great segue into my, my final question. When, when the reader, whoever reads this book, and I believe that many, many are going to read this book, and I believe lives are going to be touched, uh, lives are going to be helped and changed through the reading of this book. I really feel it. And, and when that reader turns the page of your particular chapter in this collaboration, what is it? that you want that reader to walk away with when they've turned that page for the final time? I want them to know, and know in the deepest sense of the word, not just a superficial knowing, but a knowing that resonates with the deepest level of who they are in essence. I want them to know that a delay is not a denial. It could be a delay in them being able to hold their baby in their arms. It's not a denial. Mm. And that the answers all lie within them. Doesn't matter how many doctors or how many insurance companies tell you that there is no answer, that you just have to accept it. Acceptance is a part of what the books call as the six stages of grief. But acceptance doesn't mean that you forget. Like you said, Justin, it's not about forgetting. It's about reflecting upon that part of your journey and knowing that, yes, life will never be the same again. I will be the last person to say, hey, everything will be okay. Because that, to me, is disrespectful of the life that was lost. Absolutely. Life will not be the same. It will still be a great life. And the mother and the father will still go on to live a happy, fulfilling life. It doesn't mean that they will forget the baby. It just means that they have grown as individuals, as parents to maybe the other children that they have or that they might have down the road, or even if they decide that they do not want to conceive. But we are all parenting in different ways, whether if it's a project somebody's working on or whether you're a school teacher or anything that you do, the level of passion and commitment that you bring to any task, that is the person playing a parent's role. So it doesn't matter how much people say that you just have to accept it and move on. Don't, if that doesn't sit well with you, 
don't allow that don't force it feel your feelings an expression a quote that i really love something that i'm learning from the person who has put together the rapid transformational therapy program who is marissa peer she always says feel the feelings until they no longer need to be felt wow and a quote that i discovered it's actually a very very old quote about 150 years ago but it is so true and and i made this mistake so i'm sharing because please don't make the mistake i made i made the mistake of suppressing my feelings of worrying myself in work, which was one example of something that I did to suppress my emotions and my feelings. And I've learned that the feelings that do not find their expression in tears make other organs weep. Mm, That's good. So if there's anything I want my readers or our audience from this episode, if there's anything I want people to walk away with, It's that every answer is available to you. You just have to make sure that you continue to work towards your answers. You deserve to find answers. You don't have to earn them. They are already yours. You just need to allow yourself to use tools and resources available, whether that's whether if it's podcasts, whether if it's free YouTube videos, whether it's hiring a coach, whether it's hiring a therapist, you have answers available to you. And if you need help in reaching those answers, go for it. Go for it. You are investing in yourself. You are not spending time or money. It's not an expense. You are investing in yourself. And when you do, you are investing in your generations to come because when you are in a better place, you are setting your children and their children and their children up for success. And success in the frame of living a wholesome, happy life. You know, I just, I'm, I'm listening and I just, I, I find myself... Um, just thinking of legacy like like you 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 mentioned earlier and i just want i just want our listeners to know that that our legacy lifted lived out um in this life uh is meant to be is meant to be lived out with people with direction with vision with wisdom and there's so much wisdom in what you're saying and telling people, do not be afraid to reach out because there's nothing wrong with saying, I need help. And your the the my favorite verse of this podcast today is you become a mother as soon as you give birth to the dream of being a mother. And so um, that that's that's beautiful, Aviva. I thank you. I thank you for your story, your your um, willingness to to share your your hardship um, and your wisdom and your victories are as well. And so, if other people want to find out more about you or know how to get in touch with you, where can they go? They can go to my website, which okay. is avivasolson dot com. That's a v i v a s-o-l-s-o-n dot com or you can just simply drop me a line send an email it's contact at avivasolson.com there you go well aviva i have thoroughly enjoyed you today and uh, i know that our listeners um will as well and so uh just thank you once again um if you will hold on just for a minute as for our listeners i'll see you in the next couple of days.